Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. As the criticism against Alistair Begg continues to mount, we offer here an appeal to Alistair Begg's critics. Attending an unbiblical event of any kind is by no means in itself affirmation, support, or celebration. Let's open our Bible now that we might learn how we can attend such events not in celebration, but in service to Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good afternoon and uh, welcome to uh, another teaching. It is a uh, Thursday afternoon here in Texas and uh, it's a it's a good day to be loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus and uh, and above all, growing to love him, right? Growing to obey him, growing to please him, growing to be more and more like him, right? That's the that should be the heart of of every one of us as genuine Christians is to be more and more like Jesus. So Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, so um, uh, this is going to be a, a, a teaching, and, and you know we're going to call it something to the effect of uh, an appeal uh, to the critics of, of Alistair Begg, or, or an, an appeal to, to Alistair Begg critics. Um, we've done, we did a three teaching series on this, but this one's going to be a, a little different. I. Um, you know, in seeing the, the, the little hundreds of videos that have come out um, in, you know, in criticism of the counsel that uh, Pastor Begg gave uh, that grandmother for her grandchild. Um, and, 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 and some of it harsh, some of it respectful. Um, I, I believe that, uh, that the Lord has, has given me insight into this. And unfortunately, I, I still haven't seen. I've seen hundreds of videos coming against Alistair Begg's position, but, but really haven't seen any um, to, to, to come alongside and give biblical support as to, you know, why it is biblically uh, that a Christian can attend um, an unbiblical event um, like a gay wedding um, without in any way uh, affirming the couple or the people there without in any way supporting them and certainly uh, not in any way celebrating the event, but, uh, but they can go in service to Christ that a Christian can go biblically in service to Christ, to, to any unbiblical event. Um, they can humble themselves. Uh, they can abase themselves. They can subject themselves to something like this. It's a, it's certainly an unbiblical event. It's a grievous, it's a sad event, but, but at the same time, you know, Jesus, Jesus can often work if we're willing to, to attend such things. Okay. And so this is what we're going to discuss. And again, it's, it's going to be an appeal. So let me pray and then uh, we'll move right into it. Father, we, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives, Father. We thank you for your love. We, we thank you for our Bible, Father. We thank you that we have the, the living word of God. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for willingly becoming a human man for us. We thank you for 
living a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we could never live. We thank you for dying a torturous death on our behalf that that we deserve to die. And we thank you that you're alive and risen today. And we worship you today, our risen Savior. We worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to, to not let me say anything that's not consistent with the word of God, the Son of God, and the heart of my heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, I ask for eyes that see, ears to hear, hearts to understand for myself and all who hear this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So in, in just digesting the last three weeks or so and in, in just, you know, again, the, the, the seemingly hundreds of videos that have come out um, from different content makers um, coming strongly against the position of Alistair Begg. Uh, most have been courteous in their disagreement, but some have been have been very harsh, unbiblically harsh, sinfully harsh. Um, and, you know, in just in, in really listening to the objections, it, it, it seems to me that, you know, that there is a again, I don't know if it's just an unwillingness to see if it's an unwillingness for Alistair Begg's critics to see, um, you know, or if they're, you know, if, if they're unable to see. Right. Um, uh, you know, I don't know if it's just that that they don't have the bandwidth in this particular thing because, you know, they're they're just so blinded. Right. Um, and so that's you know, that's what I'm going to address. It was interesting in preparing for this and. In seeking the Lord, I was reminded that, uh, you know, that, you know, one of the one of the one of the things Alistair Begg pointed out in his sermon, Compassion versus Condemnation, is that we can have a, a pharisaical attitude, you know, toward these things. And to Alistair Begg's critics, um, you seem to come out to a person and been frustrated, um, even offended that, that, that he would say that. Um, and so I'm going to try to explain, you know, how it is, uh, that, that, that your position and your dogma can come off pharisaical. But as I was preparing, I was reminded, um, I believe by the Lord that, you know, that, that, that I myself have certainly acted in pharisaical ways many, many times. So I am not, I'm not by any means someone who is not subject to acting in a, in a pharisaical fashion. Okay. Uh, I do believe that, that the Lord has given me eyes to see the truth here. And I do believe that the critics have, have missed it. Okay. That the critics of Alistair Begg have missed it. And I believe I'm going to give a, a reasonable biblical argument, uh, to that end. Um, but this may be hard for y'all to believe, but in all of my circles in Christian circles, um, you know, and you know, I, I have different relationships with different folks in different churches and different groups in different parts of the world. I am the one personally that is, uh, that has been accused of acting in a, 
in a fair circle manner. Um, you can look at, you know, I don't know, we have almost 300 teachings, right? Um, and, uh, you know, the, the focus, the biblical focus we have on obedience, right? We can, we can, you know, I can oftentimes come off pharisaical myself. And what's interesting is I, you know, I confess that I had, I generally would always defend myself, right? I would always just like, you know, y'all, Alistair Begg's critics, you're, you're defending your stance saying you're not being pharisaical. So it's, I've done some introspection is what I'm saying. And so what I'm sharing here um, are, are, are things that in, in different, in different things, right. And on, you know, on different discussions where, where I myself have been called pharisaical and, um, and I, and I hadn't really considered, you know, to be candid or frank that, uh, that that could be true. And so now I'm, I'm evaluating that, right. Based on the scriptures, right. Certainly you're not pharisaical just because someone calls you that, but we're going to go through, through some things to where perhaps I hope through this appeal that you can understand how and why you could be perceived as pharisaical. So, so what I want to begin with, and this is going to be really the theme of this appeal, is in, in listening to, 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 again, all the different critics, and, and there are many on YouTube, and then there are many, you know, folks on YouTube that are, you know, that are bringing in sermons from other people, from other pastors. But what the consistent theme is that I've seen is that it doesn't appear, and I'll say this again, like that the critics of Alistair Begg as a whole have either the bandwidth or the willingness to understand that attendance at an unbiblical event and a gay wedding is certainly an unbiblical gathering or event, is not in itself support, affirmation, or celebration. And that, that's going to be the theme of what, of what I'm going to teach here. Nowhere biblically, nowhere can we prove biblically that attendance, simple attendance, at a non-biblical event or party or gathering or what people may call a wedding, attendance in itself is by no means biblically affirmation, support, acceptance, or certainly a celebration of the event that's happening. In, uh, I think it's around this time, it could be this week, I'm not sure, but out in New Orleans, they do something called Mardi Gras. And I think it's a, I think it's a week of, uh, you know, just, just tremendous worldly, immensely worldly partying, right? Um, it's my understanding. I've never been that it can be, and it is overwhelmingly sinful, um, in, in just tremendously tremendously unbiblical ways. And I got a, a, a sister of mine that's uh, Lisa, who I have, who I've helped support, who, who goes out with a team of Christians every year. I believe she's done this 16 years now and goes out into this massive party 
with an entire group. And it's my understanding that Christians come from all over the country or the world and they go into this seemingly diabolical place of massive ungodliness and overwhelming sin in, you know, in manner and in ways that, that cannot even be described, right? And, and they go out there in the service to Christ. Um, some of the things I've heard that, that they're exposed to year after year after year are, are simply just far, far, far more, more difficult to deal with than, than a gay or homosexual wedding. Um, but yet they go out there and they subject themselves to this. Do they approve of the lifestyle that these people are, are carrying on? Of course not. Are they affirming their lifestyle when they're out there? Of course not. Are they supporting them? Of course not. Are they celebrating with them because they're in attendance at Mardi Gras? Listen to that carefully. I, you know, I, I beg you, right? Listen to that carefully, what I just said. Of course not. And it really is the same here. Critics of Alistair Begg, I'm, I'm asking you to, to, to simply, I'm asking you to repent. Just as straightforward as I can be. You can come out and you can say, no Christian should ever go to a gay or transgender or homosexual wedding in a cavalier manner, in an indifferent manner. No Christian should ever go in support, in affirmation, or in any way in celebration. But it is certainly possible that a Christian can go to one of these events that they call a wedding, right? Which, of course, we know is not a wedding. It's possible that a Christian can go and maybe even should go in service to Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is possible that they, they can and should go. They would have to humble themselves. It would be an, an, an abasing, you know, you'd have to abase yourself and subject yourself to something that is very much unbiblical, something that is sad, something that's grievous. But there very well may be a time that Jesus would send you to do that as his witness. So that, that's what we're going to, that, that's really the foundation of this. And the fact that so many have come out with, with no biblical proof that a Christian cannot attend one of these events in service to Christ is sad. There is, there is no place in Scripture that says that we cannot. So there, there are places in Scripture that says we, we certainly can and should, as Christ leads us, attend gatherings of unbelievers. Look at... Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 10, 27. Paul says, I have written you in my letter not to associate. 
I'm actually going to read 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10 first, and then we'll do 10, 27. So this is 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. All right, so, so let that sink in, okay? Obviously, people at a gay or transgender wedding, these are not genuinely saved believers. So these are unbelievers. Paul clearly states here in 1 Corinthians 9 and 10 that, 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 that the world is filled. He says you'd have to leave the world to not be around sexually immoral greedy, swindlers, idolaters, okay? We'd have to leave the world. As a matter of fact, whenever you leave your house, y'all, critics of Alistair Begg, whenever you leave your house, you go out into a world that's, that's, that's under the control of the devil. We know that First John chapter five, right? The whole world is under the control of the evil one, of the devil. Everywhere you go, okay? Anytime you go to a department store, Anytime you go to a restaurant, anytime you go to a coffee shop, you are, you are in a place where people have a worldly, unbiblical view. When you go into a Starbucks, does that mean that, that you are supporting or affirming the beliefs of Starbucks? Does that mean that, you're, that you are celebrating in any way? the, you know, the morals or politics of Starbucks? Think about it. Of course not. Okay? In the same way, attendance at a gay wedding, a wedding of unbelievers, is in no way affirming or supporting or celebrating them. Okay? And don't worry. We're going to get to it because the scriptures I'm giving you literally and I want to make this clear. The scriptures I'm giving you literally wash away every single argument that sets itself up against Christ. It's going to wash away every argument. These scriptures in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10, and chapter 10, verse 27, are going to deal with every single argument. Okay? These are clearly unbelievers. They're not saved. They're not Christians. The only question that's going to be remaining now is the question that this is being called a wedding. And I'm going to get to that, too. Um, critics of Alistair Begg, many of them are beginning to come out now and say, OK, you can be around them because that's what these scriptures say. I've heard I've heard YouTube, you know, people say that 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 you could go to a birthday party. You can go to, you know, any type of event. But they're concerned. Y'all are concerned that that the people have called this a wedding. And again, I'm going to get into this later, but what I will say now is that just because someone calls something a wedding doesn't mean that it is indeed a wedding. Just because someone calls something a marriage doesn't mean it's a marriage, y'all. Okay? Critics of Alistair Begg, uh, do you believe that just because someone calls himself a Christian that they are a Christian? Do you believe that just because someone says Jesus is their Lord, that Jesus is in fact their Lord? Do you believe that? Just because 
they choose to call it a wedding or a marriage doesn't at all mean that it is. Are you governed, critics of Alistair Begg, are you governed by what they believe at, at a gay wedding? Are you governed by their beliefs? Are you governed by the fact that they're calling this a marriage? Are you, are you governed and bound by what they believe it is or what they're calling it? Uh, myself, Alistair Begg, and, and, and others, many others who, who have tried to reason this through, we're not, we're not bound by that, okay? We're not bound by the fact that they, they're calling this a wedding. Do you actually believe this is a wedding, critics of Alistair Begg? Do you seriously believe this is a real wedding? Do you actually believe they're married in the sight of God? Do you actually meet, think this means anything at all? It really is a meaningless event, y'all. These people are spiritually dead. They're bound by the devil. They desperately need a savior. And just like us, without Jesus Christ, only an eternity in hell awaits. And I would ask you why you don't have concern for that. I would ask you why that you seem to have little concern for their souls. And don't get me wrong. I've heard people say that you can go to a birthday party. So somehow if, if two gay men uh, adopt a, an infant and it turns one year old or two gay women and they have the one year old birthday party of the child they adopted, which is certainly disturbing, we believe as Christians, right? It, it's not biblical, but somehow if you go to that party, that's okay. But once they've decided to, to quote title it a wedding, because that's what they want to call it, somehow y'all now are, are bound by that. And can you see, and I, and I say this as a plea, really, as an appeal, can you see that the pharisaical nature in that? Can you see how you're bound up in the fact that they're calling this a wedding? I've even heard people say that they think somehow God is offended at this. It's silly, okay? Uh, he grieves their souls, okay? He's in grief for their souls. The, 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 the ceremony, the gathering is, is, sadly, it's nonsense, okay? It doesn't mean anything. What they need is a savior. He's not offended. I guess many of you have not heard this term. Some of the, some of the old fathers who would deal with spiritual transformation would say, the more offendable a man is, the more immature he is. Let that sink in. The more offendable a man is, the more immature he is. And of course, that would go for a woman as well. Why is that? What is meekness, right? Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is the quality to stand in the face of foolishness without being emotionally compromised, without being offended, right? It's, 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 to me, it's the hardest beatitude. I consistently fail in it. But yes, God is not a, offended at this. He grieves it. 
Mm. So again, I'm going to get into some scriptures here. Again, 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. This makes it clear, okay? These are unbelievers. Now, Paul doesn't mention the type of gathering here. So you're going to have to insert into the scripture something that's not there. You're going to have to say, yes, but Paul didn't mean a wedding. I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. So that's what we're dealing with is a gay wedding, is the people of the world. So we are allowed to associate with them. And then again, 1 Corinthians 10, 27, if some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So there it is. He doesn't give, you know, what particular event it is. So, and, and pretty much I've seen the, the, the critics of Alistair Begg, you've admitted that, 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 that these scriptures do make it clear that we can be around sinful, unbelieving people which certainly that's what we're around everywhere at a gay wedding. Um, you know, we certainly don't celebrate their sin no more than Jesus did when, when he ate and fellowshiped with the most sinful of society. Um, we don't affirm it. We don't support it. Okay. So these scriptures wash away every argument. It's interesting. I was studying the, the book of Jonah as I was, I was considering this. And if you think about it, you can, you know, Alistair Begg critics, if I told you, you know what, you would have, you would have affirmed Jonah. You would have supported Jonah in his decision to refuse what the Lord told him to do and going to Nineveh, you would have affirmed that choice. What would you say? You would, of course, say, no, 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 we wouldn't. Well, what did the Lord ask him to do? I'll tell you, I, if, if you ever do a study, a deep study of what Nineveh was like, it's there are things that scholars and historians say that are so vile, so just so incomprehensible vile so far infinitely past gay or homosexuality, there are no words. And yet the Lord tells Jonah, commands him to go up there. It's interesting. Jonah 1, 1 to 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee, to flee from the Lord. Do you believe that what Jonah did was right? Okay. The Lord asked him to go up into a, a wickedness that's incomprehensible, a 120,000 person city, of unimaginable wickedness. So let's say you did go up and you did in humility subject yourself and abase yourself, humble yourself, condescend, and you were willing in service to Christ to go to the wedding. 
the gay, you know, the gay wedding, right? Now, again, we've talked about the fact that we're not bound, right, by what they call it. But let's say you went up to this gathering or ceremony or whatever they're calling it. And you sat there in grief and you prayed and the opportunity came up as you were mulling around sad for you to share the gospel. For you to pray for some other people and who knows the doors the Lord could open. And what if somebody got saved? In Jonah chapter four, Jonah is furious with the Lord. Do you see the, the pharisaical attitude in that? Can you see it? Jonah is a man of God. Okay. Um, now, again, the, the Pharisees, by and large, weren't saved. The vast majority of them couldn't understand. You remember what Jesus said in, what was it, John 8, 43? Why is my language not clear to you? Why don't you understand what I'm saying? And I won't go into what 44 says, because I, I do believe that the most, that the most of Alistair Begg's critics are saved. I certainly hope so. Just in case someone's listening to this and you're not, what, is it, what does it mean? What do we need to be saved from? At the bottom of it all, we need to be saved from the wrath of our Heavenly Father, and we need to be saved from eternal hell. We need to be rescued. Every single one of us that are not in Christ are an abomination. We are a wretched, wicked creature fit only for hell. This is the plain, unambiguous teaching of the scripture. We are hopeless, helpless, desperate. We need a savior or we will be bound for an eternity of torture in hell. God the Son, the Son of God, entered into humanity, added humanity to his deity, entered in, condescended in a way we'll never understand, and lived for 33 and a half years in, in, in something that, that, that Philippians 2 said he made himself nothing. For Jesus to become a man is to make himself nothing, right? 1 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11. He made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. That's what it was for Jesus to be like us. He entered this world on behalf of humanity, lived a perfect righteous life on our behalf, on your behalf and mine, that we could never, ever live for a moment. He then died an excruciating, torturous death on the cross on our behalf and in, and in our place that we certainly absolutely deserve to die. And then he was raised from the dead. And if you believe that today, if you believe that your God, Jesus, became a man, you believed he did live that perfect righteous life on your behalf, died that torturous death on your behalf, Right? You can receive him today. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Are you trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus alone right now for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, deliverance from the wrath of God and eternal hell?
You can call on him now. You can humble yourself. It's not your words that save you, but you can call on him and ask Jesus to come into your heart, to be the Lord of your life, to save you from your sin, to bring you to heaven when you die. Genuinely proclaiming your complete and total trust in him alone to deliver you from hell, to rescue you, and to bring you to heaven when you die. I plead, if you don't hear anything else, that you will receive Christ. Jonah goes the opposite way of the Lord. Look at, uh, look at chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Okay, In chapter 2, Jonah repents. And as I was thinking about this, I was scared. I don't know if you've ever had a whale in your life. Um, you know, in chapter 1, Jonah, Jonah would rather die. Right. He tells the men to throw him overboard um, and, and they do. The whole ship comes to comes to faith. They're all, all the ship is saved. Uh, they sacrifice to the Lord. Um, he tells them to throw him overboard and uh, and the and the whale swallows him up. And, it, you know, after three days and three nights, he repents. And that's what I'm asking. I'm simply asking Alistair Begg's critics to repent of this one thing, of saying that a Christian can never attend an event like a gay wedding without supporting it, without affirming it, or without celebrating it. It's simply not biblical. I'm asking you to come out now and repent and say that a Christian obviously can go in service to Christ. And it, not only is it not sinning, it's in obedience to serving Christ. And what if someone got saved? Would y'all be happy? Would you be happy if, if a Christian went up in there? At the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah's going to be furious that the Lord saved the whole city by his one sentence sermon. They all repent from the king down and everyone gets saved. Look at Jonah Chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, and then verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord this time and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Look at verse 10. When God, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had, he had threatened. Did y'all hear that? I thought I've heard. I thought, what was Alistair Begg's sermon called? Compassion versus condemnation. Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they did and how they turned, the Ninevites, from their evil ways, and it is evil 10 times worse than homosexuality, how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had measured. If you went, right, if Steve Lawson, if you went up into this, sir, I know you don't believe it. You are, you are blinded by the fact. Again, I believe you're saved, sir. I believe you're born again. You don't need me to, you don't need me to say that. I believe you're a born again Christian. But, but this pharisaical attitude, which I've seen in myself, it's in the apostles in Acts chapter 11. Do you remember it? Remember Acts chapter 11? 
Peter has to be told by the Holy Spirit three times to go and preach to the Gentiles. He finds it repulsive. He finds it disgusting. He proclaims to the Holy Spirit, never, Lord, has anything impure or unclean entered my mouth. Never. I'm, do you see the Pharisaical attitude? Even in a true Christian like Peter, right? The Lord has to tell him, don't, don't call anything God has made clean, unclean. Has to happen three times. I'm like Peter. Normally, I have to be told over and over and over because I have a pharisaical bend in myself. We all do. It's interesting when, when you look at Acts 11, 1 to 3, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now look at this. These are saved Christians, and I believe most of you are saved. If not, then go back and rewind the tape and receive Christ. But I believe most of you critics are, are saved. But look what can happen. Look at, look at what we can do. Look what they do. They heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. The Gentiles are delivered from Satan, y'all. They're delivered. They're saved. They're children of God. You would think there would have been massive rejoicing, like, like the angels rejoice. Over the one sinner repents instead of the 99 righteous that don't. Hmm. But no, they're not happy. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. The believers criticized him. And I'm talking to Alistair Begg's critics now. They criticized him. Why? Verse 3, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them undoubtedly believing that somehow Peter was affirming all the Gentile sin. You went into the house of uncircumcised men. You went to a gay wedding. Yeah, you shared Christ. Yeah, the Holy Spirit came down. Yeah, a dozen people got saved, but somehow no one, no one is happy. So can you, can you see the, the pharisaical the clear pharisaical attitude that's in the apostles here. I've seen it in myself, y'all. So this should be an explanation now of why Alistair Begg used pharisaical as an example. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. They're indignant. They, they can't see past. They're blinded. And that's, that's what I'm trying to say, y'all. You know, I'm not saying you are Pharisees, okay? And nor was Alistair Begg. What he's simply saying is you're, 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 you're blinded. You can't see that someone could go into the house of these uncircumcised men and that people could get saved and we ought to rejoice. You simply can't see that you can go to something terrible and unbiblical and not in one moment support it, affirm it or celebrate it. You know, one of, the, one of the aspects of being Pharisaical, and I'm speaking to myself here as well, but I'm speaking particularly to the critics of Alistair Begg, is that we think we're being righteous when we stand up and say, a Christian should never go to a gay wedding. We think we're being righteous, we really do. But unwittingly, we're actually being self-righteous. And I've seen that in myself. Let that sink in. When we think we're being righteous, we can unwittingly really 
be being self-righteous. Do y'all see that? Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to wrap it up here. Look at uh, Jonah 4, 8 to 11. Um, I'll say again, can you all see how you would have said to Jonah what you're saying to the Christians? Don't go, don't go. Can you see how you very well might have affirmed Jonah? Don't go to that. The place is so vulgar, there's no words. Do you see how we could have made the mistake? You actually believe you wouldn't have. You'll tell me you believe. You'll tell me you believe that Jonah should have obeyed the Lord and gone into this disgusting thing. That Peter should have obeyed the Lord the first time and gone to the house of the Gentiles. Can the Lord send you in service to Christ into such an event? Of course he can. This is just a fact, y'all. Again, I, uh, I hope that some can hear this, that you can actually have ears to hear this and understand it. I hope it makes sense. Jonah 4, 8 to 11, and I'll close. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. The whole city gets saved, 120,000 people. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Would you be displeased if a Christian went to this event? It's not a wedding. They're not married. We're not bound by what they call it. We're bound by the word of God. Okay? It's a gathering. It falls under the purview of 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10, and 1 Corinthians 10, 27. It does, y'all. Those of you who have eyes to see this, you know it by now. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Is this how you would be if someone went up to that wedding? And let's say one person got saved. Let's say you scattered gospel tracts around there. Let's say you left a Bible or 10 Bibles. What if people actually repented? Would you be like Jonah? Disgusted. But the, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen. He's still wanting the Lord to destroy this place. The whole place just got saved. 120,000 people. The most vulgar, disgusting abominations ever. People like us. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Verse 11 but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people, listen to this, 
who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Do y'all see that? And that's what we're dealing with at a gay wedding. That's what we're dealing at any unbiblical celebration, y'all. We're dealing with a room full of people that are calling something a wedding that's not a wedding. They're calling a marriage that's not a marriage. They can't see their right from their left because they're blind. They're dead. They need life just like you and I did. They need life. They need Christ. So in closing, I'll say again, this is what I'm asking for each of you to do. I'm asking you to come out, go ahead and make a video that says, never, ever, ever should a Christian go to any unbiblical gathering. Call it what you will, okay? If they call it a wedding, a party, whatever it is, never do you go in affirmation or support. Never do you celebrate with them. You're not celebrating the sin. But you, you can come out now and say there, 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 there is a time for Christians to go in service to Christ. There is a time to go and share the gospel. There is a time to humble ourselves, right? And grieve and be sad and abase ourselves and subject ourselves to such, such an unbiblical thing. And with that heart, Jesus is certainly pleased. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. What if the wedding had 500 people? They can't tell their right hand from their left, right? What was the story of Abraham and Sodom? For 50 people, will you spare it? The Lord said, for 50, I'll spare it. For 40 people, will you spare it? For 40, I'll spare it. Abraham said, I've been a fool this long. For 30, Lord said, for 30, I'll do it. Since I spoke ridiculously now, how about 20? For 20, I'll spare it. How about for 10? For 10, I'll spare it. And we all know he would have went down to one. He'd have spared Sodom. Would you like him to spare the people at that wedding, y'all? Critics of Alistair Begg, would you like him to spare the people at that wedding? What if 10 got saved? What if five got saved? What if three got saved? What if just one got saved? Would you want him to spare it? Are we going to keep crying from the rooftops? that this is an abomination, forgetting, so easily forgetting, that save Christ, we ourselves are hopeless, wretched, disgusting, creatures fit only for hell, and in desperate need of our King Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Father, I do ask you, to open the hearts of the critics who come against this position. And I do pray, Lord, that you would give them eyes that see, ears to hear, Lord. I ask you to forgive me, Father, where I have behaved in a pharisaical man, you know, manner. And certainly I, I, wasn't, I wasn't easily listening to those that told me that I had. Certainly my wife has told me this many times and I have failed. Father, we love you and bless you. Jesus, we honor you and worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to work now in the hearts of your people. I pray that we could reunite, Lord, that we could serve your kingdom. And Lord, if I could ask for anything, I'd say, come, Lord Jesus.
Come, Lord Jesus, even today. Amen and amen.